I'm reminded of the story in the gospel where the man comes to the Lord and says, I believe. I believe, but help my unbelief. Is that not true? That we believe, but we also need help in our unbelief? I'm so thankful that the Lord has not called us to perfect faith, but he has called us to have faith in the perfect one. And praise be to God for that. If you would, open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, we're going to continue where we left off last week. We'll specifically be in verses 6 through 10 this morning. If you're joining with us on campus and you do not have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat in front of you or underneath the seat uh, that you're sitting in. There should be a blue Bible there. I would encourage you to open up that Bible to page 1074 because that's where we'll be. We would also encourage you to take that home, that Bible home with you and just study God's Word throughout the week. And if you choose to come back to worship uh, at Charleston Baptist Church with us, Lord, we just ask that you bring the Bible back and study continually. God's Word is so important in the life of believers. It's how we uh, connect with Him. It's how we understand our need for salvation, how we, need, how we understand His character and His holiness and His justice. All those things are wrapped up in His Holy Word, and so we're thankful for that. We are uh, in our second week of this series through the book of Galatians called uh, The Gospel of Grace, and so if you are joining with us for the very first time this morning, either on campus or online, uh, don't worry, you haven't missed out on too much yet, but I would encourage you to go to our church website or go to our church podcast and listen to last week's message so that you'll be uh, right in line with where we are uh, this morning. Just as a way of um, a short recap, not in all things, but just in some things, uh, this, the Apostle Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia. Uh, more than likely, this would have been his first uh, writing, and so this is a very early uh, part of the ministry uh, of uh, the early church, specifically for the Apostle Paul. So you're talking roughly 15 or so years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, so probably around uh, 48 AD, so very early writing. And the reason why that's important is because this helps set the stage of how important the gospel of God's grace is. Uh, in fact, we're going to learn a little bit today about what was happening in the early church, specifically in Acts 15, uh, the Jerusalem Council, where they set really in motion uh, the beauty of God's grace for the church and how we are made right with God, how we grow in Christ, and how uh, we hold on to the very fact that our assurance is not in us, but it is in him. God will finish what he started. All that is wrapped up in this amazing book. So we are going to unpack really an important statement for us as a church, and that is we are under grace, not the law that we're saved by faith and not by works. Now, there's a lot that needs to be chiseled out in that and understood because if we misunderstand the beauty of God's grace, we will lose sight of the beauty of the gospel itself. The very fact that we have been set free in Christ, not free to do whatever we want to do, but free to do what God has equipped us and called us to do and to be. So there's a distinct difference there. We want to talk a lot about freedom, especially today in this the country that we live in, but if we rightly or wrongly understand freedom from a gospel perspective, we will have this idea that we can do whatever we want. That is not freedom at all. That, in fact, is the very captivity and bondage that Christ has set us free from. And so this is an important, important study for us uh, today. And so let's begin reading in verse 6. We'll read through verse 10, and then we will unpack uh, what the Apostle Paul is writing to us today. The scripture says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed, as we have said before. So now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? 
Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we come to you this morning uh, so thankful for the word, the gospel truth. Lord, we pray that as we uh, settle in and study for this next uh, few minutes, uh, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would go before us. Uh, Lord, you would uh, open our hearts and minds to your truth, Lord, and, and in so doing, the Holy Spirit of God would give us desire and power to live in those truths today. And not just today, but every day that we live on this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, this particular book, the book of Galatians, was written uh, right after, uh, shortly after the, Paul and Barnabas's, specifically Paul's first mercenary journey. And uh, just as a way of illustration so you can understand where this was happening, I have a map for you. We saw this last week, but I think it's important for us to visualize uh, where is it that the gospel is going. And uh, we see a map of what's called modern-day Turkey. Uh, if we have a map, there we go. And you see where uh, Antioch there in Syria. So there's multiple Antioch in the world. Uh, so there's an Antioch in Syria. That's the host church, if you will. That's the church that commissioned uh, Paul and Barnabas to, to go on that first missionary journey. And you can tell that they set out from uh, Antioch in Syria. That blue line is wrapping them around. And then you get to modern-day Turkey, specifically that green area there. That is Galatia. That would have been one of the largest uh, provinces in uh, the Roman Empire. And there you can see where their track began to go, where they preached the gospel, shared the message of God's amazing grace there in Antioch and Pisidia and then Iconium and then Lystra and then Derby, And then they swung back around and, and came back to their home church and they had a time of celebration if you will and what's amazing in this journey is there was a simple yet powerful message that was being shared and as people heard the message the message of God's amazing grace and as the Holy Spirit of God opened up their eyes to their need for Christ people were saved churches were planted and what is the content of the message of the gospel what is it that they went 12 to 18 months on that first missionary journey sharing about. Well, Paul told us last week in Galatians uh, chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, that he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. What an incredible, me incredible message of God's news. At the very uh, heart of the gospel is the root of grace. The very source of salvation from God to us is grace. The very fact that God's grace covers our past, right? The old self has been dealt with. The old self that was that enemy was an enemy towards God, a, a rebellious person, right? A person who uh, was not only an enemy of God, but the scripture says that we wanted nothing to do with him. And yet, because of God's incredible grace, he opened our eyes to our need for him, and, and his grace covers the sins of our past, covers our sins of today, and covers our sins in the future, right? God's grace does all that. Not only are we made right with God, our old self, uh, sins forgiven, the wrath of God being satisfied in Christ, we have new life in him. We have power to live today in a way that is radically different than the past. And because of God's grace, the fruit that is given to us is the fruit of peace. We have peace with God. We're no longer enemies. It is finished, right? Not only do we have peace with God, but we also have the peace of God. Now understand what's happened here. This gospel of grace, it's the Father who initiates it, right? It's Jesus who accomplishes it, and it's the Holy Spirit of God who secures it, right? That is not our works. This is God's work of grace to us. Why is that important? Because just like in the churches in Galatia, this, the same happens to us today. We are tempted to lose sight of the supremacy of Christ in the gospel. We forget that it's God's work, not ours. 
And so there are temptations that come to us just like they did to the churches in Galatia. And that's what Paul is addressing here specifically in verses 6 through 10. What are the two primary temptations that he is addressing there in the churches of Galatia? What is he addressing for us today? The first is this, the temptation to turn away from the gospel. To turn away from the gospel. As Christ followers, we carry within us, all of us, the potential to do what? To turn away from Christ. Right? As the great hymn has said, we are prone to wander. Prone to leave the God that we love. Paul speaks of this temptation to turn away in verse, in verse 6, in the beginning of verse 7. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not there, there is another one. So Paul says, I'm astonished. I'm amazed. I'm, I'm shocked. I'm bewildered. Why? Why is he shocked? Why is he amazed? Why is he bewildered? Because the church followers of Christ are turning to a different gospel, they think. But Paul says, just in case you think there's another gospel, guess what? There's not. There's only one gospel. Why? Because God is the one who has initiated. He is the one that has accomplished it. He is the one that has secured it. And yet, Paul says to the churches in Galatia, again, that first missionary journey, comes back, shares it with the church in Antioch and Syria, and the people of God have already begun deserting. Now, let's think about that word uh, deserting for just a moment. The word desert means to transfer allegiance, to go to another team, if you will. It would be like a, a rabid... Uh, Clemson fan today becoming a Carolina fan, right? Or uh, a UNC fan becoming a, a Duke fan, something like that, right? But far greater, right? There's an allegiance swap here. Like I have a Lord, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, but because of a, uh, a gospel that is being presented that is not true to the scripture, I have this idea that I'm going to begin turning from the Lord. And he, but Paul says that it happened what? It happened so quickly. Now think about that phrase for just a minute. That communicates two things, two possibilities. One, how fast it happened. Two, how easily it happened. And guess what? Both are probably true, right? We see this all throughout history. I mean, we just finished the book of Hosea, right? God's faithfulness to his bride. And yet, the unfaithfulness of the people. Think about the Old Testament for just a moment. Specifically when God had delivered the people from the hands of the Egyptians, right? The Pharaoh, from Pharaoh. We see this happening in Exodus 32. Listen to what the scripture says. The scripture says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have what? They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. Think about it. God's people had just been rescued from the hands of Pharaoh. 400 years of bondage and slavery has come to an end because of God's mighty work. A miracle above all miracles, right? And the scripture says that as uh, Moses was up on Mount Sinai with the Lord and the Lord was given the commandments uh, to, Mount, uh, to Moses, God's people were at the bottom of the mountain. And what were they doing so quickly? They were turning to, in this case, a golden calf, a false idol. And the point is what? That until, so to protect us from getting prideful and arrogant, right? The same could be true of us today. How quickly we turn from the truth of the gospel. How easily and how fast the Apostle Paul is pleading for the church to stop. That the word turn there is an important word because it, it's, it's a present tense word, meaning it hasn't fully happened yet. They're on the path to doing that. It hasn't completed its process yet. And so that's why Paul is pleading with the church to stop going down the road that you're going down. Stop being tempted to turn away from the Lord. And the point is this, you and I, at some point in our life, and most often, many times in our life, we will be tempted to do what? 
turn from the Lord. Circumstances of life, emotions, feelings, disappointment at, with the church, all kind of different things will tempt us to do what? Turn away from the Lord. This is one of Satan's goals in your life and in my life today. Satan wants us to turn away from God's amazing grace. The Apostle Paul writes to this and to the church in Corinth. He says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, but he says, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. To every person here today, to every child, to every student, to every adult, Satan's great desire is for you to turn away from who? The Lord himself. Did you notice that that's what Paul is focusing on here? Turning away from him who has been so gracious to you. Sometimes we think that our turning away is a turning away to the church or turning away from mom and dad. We're mad at mom and dad, and so we turn away from them. We turn away from the church. We turn away from truth. At the end of the day, who are you ultimately turning away from? You're turning away from Jesus Christ himself. Satan will do everything and use everything, and he will... Use anything to deceive you. He will deceive you through a relationship. He will deceive you through your education. He will deceive you through a career path. He will deceive you through your own self-reliance. He will deceive you through the shame of your past. He will deceive you through the disappointment of life, even disappointment within the church. He will use any and all methods with one ultimate goal, to turn you away from the Lord, to turn you away from the gospel of grace. And so that begs the question, how is Satan tempting you today? How is he tempting you to turn away from the Lord? Again, the the gamut is wide, right? Disappointment, self-reliance, circumstances of life. It's not just one thing that Satan will use to tempt us. So your temptation may look different than mine. But the end goal for Satan is the same. He wants us to turn away from who? Jesus Christ himself. This is why the gospel is so central, not only in the life of this church, but should be so central in your life as well that you understand the beauty of salvation, not just my sins are forgiven, the wrath of God satisfied, not just one day I'm going to heaven, I'm gonna meet Jesus face to face. That is not the only picture of of the beauty of salvation. There is a lot of middle there. Salvation is about God working in us through his spirit, providing Christ likeness in our life, right? That I'm no longer living in the bondage of my sin but I'm living free, gospel-free in what Christ has declared over me. So temptation to turn from the gospel. The second temptation is the temptation to twist the gospel. Twist the gospel. That's the second temptation that Paul addresses here. He says in the second part of verse 7, he says, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So there's a group of people that are set out to do two things in the churches there in Galatia. One, they're troubling you. The word trouble means to uh, agitate you, right? To, to uh, uh, confuse you, to shake you, to unsettle you, right? It's, it's like watch, watching uh, clothes wash in the washing machine, right? Especially if you have uh, the glass that you can see what's happening and you see all that turning around and all that stuff that's happening, right? You know, in the past, the only way you could see that is go to a laundromat. Man, God has graciously given us that experience in our own homes for many of us, right? But that's the picture, this, this agitating that's happening, this confusion, this shaking up. So get that mental picture in your mind. But the second thing they're also doing is they, they want to distort the gospel of Christ. The word distort means to twist, to, to pervert, to, to alter. Now keep in mind that this distorting doesn't mean that there's a complete denial of the gospel. That's important. It's not about a complete denial of the gospel, but that the gospel itself is not sufficient. That's the key. Now who was doing 
the confusing? Who was doing do the distorting? Paul refers to them as some here, but we know from other passages that there's a specific group in mind, and uh, they're called Judaizers. And so uh, these would have been people who have professed faith in Christ, uh, so they believe that you need Christ to be right with God, but it's not just you need Christ, you need works ultimately. You need uh, to adhere to the law of Moses, specifically uh, circumcision. So I'll let you have that conversation uh, with your sons uh, at any point that you wish to. You can explain that to them, but I'm thankful that that is not the case for us today, right? Now think about the importance of that though. The Jewish people were identified primarily by what? The outward sign of what? Circumcision. So this is a big deal. For 1,500 years, that's how God's people were mainly defined and, and seen throughout the world that, that, you, that you are of Jewish heritage if you have been what? Circumcised. So this is a big deal. So now all of a sudden you have the gospel of God's grace being spread throughout the land, specifically modern Turkey. People are coming to faith in Christ. Churches are being planted. And guess what? There are people who are not happy with that. Can you believe that? And where did the attacks come from? It didn't come from the outside. It came from where? The inside. Is it possible that God's grace can be spoken and lived and preached and celebrated and yet in the midst of the people, people not be happy with that. You see why this is such a big deal? Because just like the people in Paul's day, we today want to attach things to the gospel of God's grace. Our own convictions, our own preferences, all those different things. And Paul is going to deal with that all throughout the book of Galatians. So that is a snippet of where we're headed. So think about the early church, specifically in Acts 15. So the first missionary journey is over. Paul and Barnabas end up back at the, at the host church, the commissioning church in Antioch there in Syria. And they are sharing what's happening. And in the midst of that, Acts 15 verse 1 starts with this. But some men came down from Judah or Judea, and we're teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's a pretty direct quote, right? This is the twisting of the gospel. So the gospel of grace wasn't sufficient. It had to be Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus works. The scripture goes on to say in verses four and five, when they, Paul and Barnabas, came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. There's great celebration. Listen, I can't think of a better thing to celebrate than God getting glory when sinners are set free. I can't think of anything better than that. And yet, the scripture says in verse 5, but some believers, that, you see that? Believers. Some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. You see the weight of this. So often we're so so consumed with the war on the outside, the issues on the outside, that we fail to see that there is great issue on the inside. And that's why the gospel of God's grace is so, so important. And so Paul is saying, listen, and that's what the early church did in Acts 15, the council in Jerusalem, the first council. They wanted to set the record straight on what it meant to be made right with God, what it meant to grow in Christ-likeness. It's the gospel. It's the gospel of God's amazing grace. So there's counterfeits everywhere, right? There's a twisting of the gospel everywhere. Now, let's think about counterfeits for just a moment. Some of us have experienced uh, that tension, right? Uh, how many of us have gone to a grocery store or somewhere, and we, we uh, gave the cashier a $20 bill, $50 bill, and if you're very, very blessed, a $100 bill, right? And what do they sometimes do with that? I mean, they start looking at it. Now they have the pens that they write on. Well, back in the day, they didn't have the pen, right? They just, they're doing this, and there's a part of you that's thinking, 
Well, what if it's not the real deal? You know, how do I explain that? They're going to think I'm the one that did this. I have no idea where it came from. I did somebody's lawn like four weeks ago. That's where I got it from. And so there's a tension there. Now, how is it that the cashier back in the day before they got the cool little pin, how is it that they determined what was counterfeit or not? Well, the U.S. Secret Service, who handles counterfeit money, says it like this. This is important. They say that you are to compare a suspect note, that is, whatever the currency is, with a genuine note of the same denomination and series, paying attention to the quality of the printing and paper characteristics, looking for what? Differences, not similarities. And that's the issue. When people twist the gospel, they'll give you just enough Jesus to inoculate you to think that everything's safe, right? But then they go in with the twisting. And so that is important. When it comes to money, it doesn't matter how close the counterfeit might, might be to the original. The number of similarities may be enormous. It may look like, feel alike, and even smell like real money. But if it's counterfeit, it has no value at all, right? The same is true of the gospel. Understanding how to detect counterfeit money is one thing, but a bigger thing is how do we detect counterfeit messages concerning the gospel? This is one of the main reasons why the Apostle Paul is not only writing to the churches in Galatia, but why he writes again to the church in Colossae. He says this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. That is the love of human wisdom. Now think about the school setting today, especially when kids graduate, which is getting ready to happen. Go off to college. You're implanted into a new world for many of you. So think about these statements for just a minute, that somebody would not hold you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, that is human wisdom or lies according to human tradition, according to the element, uh, elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. In other words, there are going to be traditions that you grew up with, traditions that will be pushed at you, that are what? They're not ultimately the gospel. They're going to be messages that are given to you that sound amazing. They blow your mind with how smart people are, but all in all. Communicating lies. Why is the gospel so important? Why is it important to, that nothing supersedes the centrality of the message of God's grace? Verse 9, he says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God in the flesh, right? That's why it's important. Verse 10, And you who have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. This deals with my identity in Christ, right? Christ himself through his spirit indwells me. I can't think of a better, sure message of my identity than that himself. The Greek literally says, in him you be complete. Not, not very good English, but man, I love the slogan, right? In him you be complete. We're filled with the fullness of Christ. I've been made complete. It is done. It is finished. And yet, there are people that come in and twist the gospel message. And in so doing, they rob you of the freedom and the riches that you can enjoy in Christ. So look for the differences, not the similarities. And it's not just what's being communicated. That's important. It's not just what's being communicated, it's what's being left out. In other words, if it's Jesus plus works, or if it's Jesus minus Christ-likeness, they have twisted the gospel. So it's two ways here. How important is the simple gospel to the Apostle Paul? How important is it to him? Well, listen to where he goes in verses 8 and 9. This is very strong language, by the way. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. That is, let him be cut off. Verse 9, as we have said before, so now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul says, listen, it doesn't matter how charismatic you are. It doesn't matter how, uh, how much following you have. It doesn't matter how much you stir, stir someone emotionally and how excited they get and how they, they leave and the ears are tickled according to the New Testament. What matters is the content, right? It doesn't matter... How many degrees you have, that's one of, I mean, you go to seminary, you get a master's in divinity. How is it that you have a master's in divinity and you took 30 classes, right? I mean, 
that should question some things, right? I believe in education, but at the end of the day, are, are we truly masters of divinity? No, we should be masters of who? That we need Jesus Christ in our life, right? And there is an educational process, don't get me wrong, but I think we, we miscalculate the importance of dependency on Christ when we create all these titles. So it's not about being charismatic. It's not being about being alluring and, and nice, all those things. If it's not the gospel, if it doesn't speak of grace and truth, freedom and boundaries, forgiveness of sin and confession of sin, turning from sin and turning to Jesus, renouncing the old life and embracing the new life, Paul says you need to run, right? That's what he's saying. If it be the false teaching that comes from the Mormon faith, the Jehovah Witness faith, the Muslim faith, or any faith outside of the finished work of Christ, Paul says, run. It is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The enemy will tempt you with turning from and twisting of the gospel. Yes, it may give the appearance of enhancing your family life, but you can have an enhanced family life and still spend eternity in hell. Why? Because you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Look at the differences, not the similarities. Deception is everywhere. You can find it in people, you can find it in churches, you can find it in denominations, in religions, on your street, my street, in your school, where you go to work, all those different places. Deception is everywhere. That's why the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Why is the centrality of the gospel of God's amazing grace so important? Because people are led astray. The health of the church is at stake, and ultimately the glory of the Lord is found in the heart of the gospel. So we must not lose sight of it. Paul says in, to the church in Colossae, in Colossians 2.1, he says, he says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. You hear his passion for the church, right? I have this struggle for you, for those at Laodicea, and for all who have what? I have not seen them, them face, who have not seen me face to face. So Paul has not even seen them, and yet he says, I have this great burden for you, this great passion for you. What is that passion? Verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What is Paul saying here? Paul says, if you need encouragement today, find your encouragement where? In the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to be united today, be united where? In the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want assurance today, find your full assurance where? In the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you want to know the treasure that you have in Christ? Look to the gospel. Why is it important? Verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Anything less than Jesus and anything more than Jesus is not the true gospel of Jesus. So what is the application for us today as we think about the temptation to turn away from and the temptation to twist? What is that application for us today as followers of Christ? The application is very simple but very freeing. We are to rest in the approval you already have in Christ. Why? How do we get there? Listen to what Paul says in verse 10. He says, for I am now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man if I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is a transitional verse because next week we're going to hear really Paul's testimony and how he came to faith in Christ. But listen to what he says. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? That's a question that we ask ourselves all the time. Yeah. Am I going to seek the approval and the pleasure of man or seek the approval or the pleasure of the Lord? In other words, who are you going to please? Now, as a Christ follower, right, how would you answer that question? Well, I'm going to live my life to do what? To have the approval of God, and I'm going to live my life to do what? To please the Lord. That sounds really, really good. 
but we must be very, 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 very careful. Because how many days have you woken up and thought to yourself, Lord, today, today is the day. Will you be pleased with me? Today is the day that you will be satisfied with me. And it doesn't take but 30 minutes to commit sin, right? And then you're thinking, I blew it today, I'll start again tomorrow, right? Anybody? You see, that confession, if not guarded with the gospel, can lead us in the very slavery that Christ has freed us from. How do we know? Think about Paul for just a moment. He had everything going for him, right? If anybody was more positioned in this life to win the approval of God and to please the Lord, it was who? It was the Apostle Paul. Think about his testimony of himself, his, his resume, if you will. In Philippians 3, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, what? I have more. He's smack talking, right? He says, listen, listen to what he has. He has family heritage and social justice, or social status. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, right? I was born into this. I did nothing for this. I... I was born into all this. Everybody desires to be me. But yet there's a weight. Is this enough to win the approval of God? Not only that, he has biblical knowledge. He says, as to the law, a Pharisee. I mean, if you're truly going to win the approval of God, you got to know what? You, you got to know the scripture. You got to know about God, right? He had religious activity. Though in the wrong place, he had religious activity. He says in verse 6, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, Paul's religious activity was so intense that he thought persecuting the church was what God wanted, right? He also had a moral lifestyle. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. You want to talk about the goat, the greatest of all time? It's the Apostle Paul. So if anybody had any hope whatsoever to win the approval and the pleasure of God, it had to be Paul. And some of us think that's the same thing we must have. We must have family heritage. We must have social status. We must have moral living. We must have biblical knowledge. We must have religious activity. All those things. And those aren't bad things, right? But if that's what you think is going to bring you approval to God and pleasure to him, you are under a weight that God has freed you from. Paul says it like this, beginning in verse 7. He says, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as what? As rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found where? Not in all those things that we just mentioned, but found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on what? Not the fact that you grew up on the right side of the tracks or you have a certain degree, but it depends on faith. You see, the pleasure of God and the approval of God are in Christ, and that's it. Jesus plus nothing. How do we know? What is the Father's testimony of his own son, Jesus Christ? Right before Jesus gets going on his ministry journey, if you will, on this earth, he was baptized, and after his baptism, the heavens open up, and this is what the, the Father declared over his son. In Matthew three seventeen. he says, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son, who I am what? I am well pleased. That means the Father has delighted in his son. Now that's good news for Jesus, right? But how does that apply to me today? Oh, listen to the gospel. 
Your ability to please God and to have approval before God is found where and only where? In Jesus Christ himself. The author of Hebrews says it like this in Hebrews 11, verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. What's being said here? Everything I need in life and the life to come is found where? In Jesus Christ himself. Everything I need in order for God to be pleased with me, to delight in me, to be approved in me, is found in Christ. How do I obtain that? By works? No. By faith in Jesus Christ. I trust in the furnished work of Christ. I trust in the gospel of his grace, not my works. Faith in Christ from beginning to end. The Apostle Paul says it like this in Colossians 2. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord... So what? So walk in him, live in him as I have received Christ as my Lord and Savior by faith. By faith, I what? I live this life in him. What does that look like? Verse 7, rooted. He's my source and built up. That is, I'm going to grow. How am I to grow? In him and be what? Established. Talk about firmness, assurance. Where? In the faith. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So who does the rooting? Who does the building? Who does the establishing? These are all passive verbs. That means something is happening to you, right? It's coming from someone else to you. Where is it coming from? It's coming from Jesus Christ himself. Continue to live in and out of what Christ has already done for you and what he continues to do for you. Understand something for just a moment. Paul closes there with abounding in thanksgiving. If you're a follower of Christ today, are you abounding in thanksgiving today? Is your heart so full of gratitude of what Christ has done? I think it's safe to say that the two primary reasons why we have not found ourselves in a place of great gratitude towards the Lord is because we're beginning to buy into those two temptations, turning from the Lord and twisting the gospel. Now, we're not perfect in that. Don't get me wrong. But I think that's a great place to start. If your soul doesn't well up with tremendous gratitude towards the Lord, start with those two temptations and see where it takes you. Understand the heart of the Apostle Paul, understand the heart of your pastors today. I pray that it be the hearts of every follower of Christ today at Charleston Baptist Church, that our hearts are so in tune with the Lord that we are abounding in thanksgiving. And Third John 4, it says this. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. When you think about your children, when you think about your spouse, when you think about your friends, when you think about those who you're in contact with, what, what is your greatest joy? Is your greatest joy a temporal achievement? I'm not saying we shouldn't celebrate those things. I'm not saying we shouldn't encourage one another. But what I am saying is that if your joy is not found in him, you will always find yourself lacking something. But the moment that you find your joy in him and Stay rooted in that joy, in his grace, in the fruit of peace. We will be tempted to turn away from the Lord and twist the very message of the gospel. Let us pray that you remind us of the beauty of your truth. Lord, thank you for Charleston Baptist Church and the hearts of the people here and the desire to have the gospel taught and the accountability that goes along with that. Lord, I pray for every individual here today, specifically those who are followers of Christ Lord, I pray that you would reveal in them weights of work, weights of performance, weights of trying to earn your approval and trying to please you apart from the work of Christ. Lord, let us be reminded that you have freed us from ourselves so that we will be free in you.
Lord, that the greatest hope that we have is found in you. The greatest assurance that we have is found in you. The greatest joy, the greatest peace, the greatest power is found in you. Christ.